Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we haven't moved an inch since we spoke with you last because we are still in Tucson. But we're trying to find warm things to do, ladies and gentlemen, because Tucson has not been kind to us in the last few days. We have been here and we had three days of rain and now it's cold. The rain was very odd. I don't remember ever experiencing rain like this in the desert before right. because the relative humidity is was so low that it rained for about three hours <laughs> before was... the rain hit the ground because it kept evaporating. The dew point has been in the one or two degrees range, so it's been extremely dry. When she says that the rain evaporates before it hits the ground, that is absolutely true. But we expect to have great weather here, and we've had great weather. It's been in the 80s and and sunny every day, but then all of a sudden... And now the sun has returned, but it, you like has, the sound effects? it has still been cold. Since it rained, since it's not quite so dry here anymore, the temperature change between the day and the night has not been nearly as wide-ranging. It's just been a little too cool. But I'm sure that many 30s. of the people who are listening to this are not feeling yeah. sorry for us at all. But upcoming in at the end of this month in February, we're recording this just a speck early because at the end of this month, we're going up to Prescott, Arizona to go to a concert. <laughs> when was the last time we drove 200 miles each way to go to a concert? Anyway, months ago, it seemed like a really good idea. We thought we might need a little break and yeah. stay here for all this time. Yeah, but now as it comes closer, we see that the day we're going, it's going to be snowing. And we don't have our shovels. We don't have our winter clothes. We don't have the things that we would have at home to accommodate the snow. But here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to be driving. So oh, if you don't hear that from us, you'll know why. It, it we're will stuck be in adventure. the snow in Prescott, Arizona. And the reason why, of course, is because it's the elevation is much higher. And, and, that's and it's things. further See, that's... that's I, I come out to I come out to Arizona. And I think warm, and suddenly once again I'm stuck with the cold temperatures and the altitude thing again, which has always confounded us. Being from the Midwest, we just don't understand. But for the most part, many artistic types have joined us here in the warmish desert. This is the time of year when there are a lot of arts and crafts and artisanal shows. Mm, and we have been having a ball and spending money. Our <laughs> motorhome basement is chock-a-block with all this cool stuff we've picked up along the way. It tickled me that many of the artisans, when you looked a little more closely at their bios, were from cold Midwestern places just like we are. So we went to the Gem Show, which is a two-week show. We've talked about this uh, on previous trips to Tucson, but I'll tell you, if you have not been to the Gem Show, you uh, are missing out on a fabulous event. Me, Mr. Non-Gem, <laughs> at, at the very least, I have no knowledge of gems, but to go to this huge, giant exhibition of gems, and when we mean gems, we mean everything from 
rocks, raw rocks, raw rocks down to high-priced diamonds. Jewelry, yeah. And that's finished product. So people come here to buy wholesale the products that they're going to use to make their their jewelry and or whatever crafts they're doing. And then other people come to buy things that they're going to sell in their store. They're going to buy that wholesale. So they're trinkets, you know. Birds made out of cut stone, um, little, you know, polished stones and things. And then it's, it's amazing what Mother Nature does in color. Have you been amazed? Yes, very much so. We look at these gems, and I use the word gem, I think, it, it kind of, I don't know, practically. It's not It's not really high-priced jewelry. It it's, could be, but it probably wasn't. Right. So... The colors that you see, and they have exhibitions of types of stones, and, and fossils, every and possible color, and, and veins of other colors. You know, you have red and blue, and every, and every possible color, and the whole thing is virtually free. There are forty-six different venues in Tucson this year to go to. I think we made it to five, and some of them we were spent several days so at this. big that we literally spent an entire day at one of them. And every time you would go through a, a huge tent, you'd come out the door and you'd think, "Now we're done," and then there would be another huge tent. And Tucson is a facility. They just put up these huge, giant tents that she just mentioned that you walk through. This is all temporary in lots of uh, sports facilities or hotels. It's amazing. And many of these rocks and minerals are bought by people who are far more clever and artistic <laughs> than we. And so then you can also buy um, various kinds of things for your home or works of art that have been made out of these stones. Or you can just buy a rock that you smash into and hope that there's a geode inside, um, very raw looking. So it really runs the gamut. And even though we know nothing about rocks and minerals, there are people here who do. And in the convention center, they have a special show where people bring rock collections uh -huh. and compete with oh, each right. other. Oh, yeah. And we saw ribbons in these showcases, and often we looked at each other with puzzlement because we didn't know why one collection won rather than another. But they were all very spectacular mm -hmm. to, to look at. I mean, you know, we just browsed, well, we did buy a little bit of stuff, but we just basically browsed around and looked at things that we did buy a few kind of cool things, though. Yes, we did. <laughs> Would you like to illuminate no. our audience? No. We bought a freestanding lamp that's about eight inches on a side that's made out of slabs of onyx no. Stone. No, no, no. With lights on the inside, so the lights show through the stone. And you can see the veins in the stone and the colors in the stone. And, of course, each one was spectacularly different from the other ones. And they had, you know, you could buy yellow ones or white ones and all sorts of different colors. And this small lamp weighed about 70 pounds, so we're... <laughs> We're glad that we have a commodious basement in our motorhome. It's, it's conveniently stored in the motorhome basement. And, and another cool thing that they had was uh, that was kind of the hit of this year's show, I thought, well, for the, the, the small things that I was looking to buy, was the glass globe. They heat one side of a glass globe, and then they press it into a piece of driftwood. Gnarly wood. Gnarly wood, so that the glass matches the Contour contours of the, wood. of the wood. So it looks so, like it was kind of made together. So soon you'll find these in your very own Pier, Pier 1. one. 
<laughs> but for the time being, we are unique in owning this piece. And then we bought a artist's work that he had taken copper. That was another cool thing, though, they had, though, was the copper drippings. They take, uh-huh. take drops of copper, big ones, I mean, eight inches in diameter, and drop them on a something cold, and it splays out and all sorts of different colors. Anyway... So this is about three feet long and about uh, 10 inches, 12 inches wide. And he takes a torch and heats the heats the copper to different temperatures, and the copper turns different colors. And that makes the picture. That makes the picture. So if you want to come to Tucson to the Gem and Mineral Show, they have it annually in February. And I'm guessing that you should plan ahead a bit. It looked like our campground was pretty much full through most of the two weeks that and they the charge show an ran. extra three hundred dollars for February just to stay here. And I'm sure ho- hotels and well, motels price things accordingly too. And they did have a shuttle bus so you could go in between the venues without having a car if you just flew in for the occasion. Um, very well organized and set up. Yes. We were impressed with that too. And the fact that there are ton- literally tons and tons of rocks and people will have displays that are. 50 feet by 50 feet with just tons of rocks in them of all sizes. And you wonder, who is buying all this stuff? And is it all going to be gone when they're done with the show? And apparently it is. I mean, as we speak now, with the show having been about two weeks ago, almost all the tents are gone and all the booths are gone and everything is back to normal, I guess. I don't know. But I just can't imagine where all these rocks go and how many people buy them. And the airplanes must be full of rocks when they're leaving here. They had amethyst that were literally as tall as I am, which they had split in two, so you could maybe put one on either side of the doorway of your fancy house, I guess. And these rocks literally came from all over the world. I really enjoyed the international aspect of it. And the people selling them came from all over the world. Right. So um, that was very fun as well. We know that there's a circuit of rock shows, and we assume that some of the stuff that didn't sell here um, traveled on. But the thought of these heavy, massive barrels of rocks being moved from place to place and packed and unpacked, it was really a lot of work. Amazing. So if you're thinking about coming here or if you're looking for something to do, it's uh, as good as the Albuquerque Bloom Festival. It's colorful. It's colorful. It's interesting, even to the total novice such as ourselves and people who are not really interested in buying anything. It's just fun to walk around and see the huge variety. And you bought jewelry. I did. And? What? What did you buy? I bought some stuff from African nations. That was an African... And you bought that, that, that... Oh, that had magnets in it. That's hard to explain. Cool stuff that we'd never seen before. Right. And as a world traveler, this lady has looked at jewelry throughout the world, ladies and gentlemen. I buy all my best jewelry in tents and outside, and I did it here as well, too. So in the two months that we're here, I had several interesting projects that I wanted to do. Uh, upgrades for the motorhome and uh, things that were needing repair and stuff and so as happens when you're in a place for a couple of months living in your motor home you have time to take care of some of those things for instance we put on the hinge lights 
Every time I open a cabinet door now, a little light comes on and I can see what I'm doing, which is very helpful. This motorhome has a, has a lot of dark wood and it's not as well illuminated as I would like. And some of the cabinets are large and you can't see what's in the back. So, so those lights are helpful. Off of Amazon, these are hinge, as in cabinet hinge. And these are lights that you put in on a cabinet and they op- they turn on when... The door is opened, and they're battery-operated, LED, so the batteries last a nice long time, although I did have to buy some spare batteries. You could take 10 minutes to put them on, and they cost, as I said, less than $10, so uh, I bought six or eight of them for $10 from Amazon. So if you're looking for kind of a nice way to light up the inside of your cabinets, these are very easy, of course, at home too, Mm -hmm. but uh, in your RV in particular. So almost any cabinet with a door, you can fit one of these, or I suppose even a drawer. Yeah, which should work on a drawer, Anything too. Anything that you open shut. Right. The hinge lights should be available, and because the price is so cheap and the batteries are cheap, so it's, to me, something pretty easy and nice to do. We did also go to the Gourd Festival. I got a lot of flack for that. Um, <laughs> Who the hell wants to go see gourds? <laughs> apparently, gourds are a major produce, produce item product. raised in the Casa Grande area, which is a fairly large town in between Tucson and Phoenix, about an hour north of where we are now. They had a festival which involved learning how to um, take a gourd and make it beautiful inside <laughs> and outside. And then they had a huge contest where people made various gourds into... <sighs> Um, works of art and then they had another huge um, tent where they showed you uh, sold you these works of art so we spent a nice morning wandering around now i would i would not go out of my way to go to the gourd festival it was small it was it was cost ten dollars to go in it was small by comparison to the other things we've done it wasn't as big as the gem show but it was or or as some of the other uh shows we've done and it was and it was boring gourds they were beautiful. The, the creative things that people did with them were spectacular. You have to put but some pictures on You could the, on buy the gourds there if you have designs on making cool works of art yourself, but you had to know how to do it. They sold gourds by the pound. And where was that? In Casa Grande. Casa Grande, okay. So we also went to the Tubac Festival. I think of Tubac, which is about 45 minutes south of Tucson, as a ladies who lunch kind of town. Um, (laughs) It it seems to have no real purpose other than little artsy-fartsy shops selling all sorts of cool stuff that you didn't know you needed until you see it, and um, little cafes and restaurants. Um, But various times throughout the year, this town is taken over by a lot more artisans who set up tents. I think there were over 100 of them. Yes. All around the town. 150. And these were of and this was interesting. very, very high quality, quality yeah. also. So they had taken some of the gems that they bought at the gem show and had turned them into a new product, which was quite interesting to see. Although they had probably done it last year because it took them all year to do that. This trip to Tucson, and now that we're coming down to the last weeks uh, of our visit here, has been very different than the previous trips. When we came here last time, four years ago, we bought the Tucson Coupon book, which we would strongly recommend to anybody who's here for the first time. It was full of two-for-one admissions to many of the touristic sites and activities that you would of want to Of which there are many. Anyway, and we did nearly all of them. We There were a few that weren't interesting to us, right. like Colossal Cave, one cave to me looks a lot like another. We really enjoyed working our way through that coupon book last time, and when we came here, 
six weeks ago, I thought, oh, what are we going to do for two months? But we have not been bored for a minute. Our intention was not to stay two months, but this campground required us to to stay for two months. So we did. Um, Not that that's bad, but we were kind of wondering, are we going to have enough to do? Because we've done all the touristy things. And as it turns out, every day has been busy. And we haven't done any of the touristy things. We've kind of played a fair amount of tennis. We've did a lot of, little bit of golf. We've this done campground has bike some rides. bike rides. We've actually had a very good time just doing some of the lesser things. And, of course, we did the gem show again. And but, because Tucson is a college town, there are a lot of cultural activities that you can take part in if that's your cup of tea. They have our favorite movie theater in the, in the whole wide world. <laughs> I like to clone it and take it home with me called The Loft. Many times as movie aficionados, we read reviews views of films that we are never going to see at home and i put them on the netflix queue and maybe they come out someday Uh, many of them are documentaries foreign films the loft also has an extensive program where they show all the academy award nominated short films you always see somebody come up and win them and you wonder what was that about and (laughs) and now we know what it was about because we were able to go see them and what made the loft theater even more appealing to us was that it was a member of of our movie, movie pass. pass. We are arguing about whether we've talked about movie pass or not, so forgive us if this is repetitious. But Never. But we joined movie pass for a special price of eight dollars a month for a year, and we each have what looks like a credit card, and you put the movie pass app on your cell phone, and shortly before you want to go to a movie, you purchase it on your app, and then you take your credit card to the movie theater. Who's Not your credit card, the movie, movie pass, pass card. credit card, to the theater, and they sell you a ticket as if you were just buying a ticket. And at home, we've always been watching out for bargain matinees and senior days, and, and now we can just go see a movie anytime, anytime we jolly well Once please. a day, you get to go to a movie, and the selection of theaters is great, even here in Tucson. It was a great selection of theaters at home. The loft is included. And many other chains are included in the movie pass. Um, so you can, you can go Saturday night, you can go Sunday, you can go anytime you want to go and just present your movie pass. So if you go twice a month to a movie, you've definitely paid for it. I think it doesn't include 3D things like right. the Black Panther or, movie that's out right now or those special things where they show you a Metropolitan Opera or one of those kinds of things. We read 1,600 theaters nationwide in their Mafia network. Uh, you can surely find something to go to whenever the mood strikes. So you check out moviepass.com. Very simple, and you join, and you pay a, a flat monthly fee, which is in the $10 range, and you can see a movie per day year-round. Every day. Every day. There's no, no holiday restrictions and no Saturdays and Sunday restrictions. It's every day, one movie you get to see. So you can see a lot of movies that you might not have otherwise felt that it was worth the 8 or $10 to go see. You can also just do a couple movies a month, and it still pays for itself. The only restriction I see is that you have to buy the ticket day of. Yes. And if you want to go to an event that sells out, as the Academy Award-winning shorts right. did, uh, we had to pay cash for that. Darn it. Oh, yeah. Well, and the movie movie pass even works for what's becoming more and more popular at the theaters, and that's these uh, reserved seats. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, we go into more, more and more theaters, and you got about 150 seats that have electric gizmos to put for your put your feet out. But that's not a problem. It works there too. But you have to select your seat, and you can't do that till you come to the theater. So sometimes uh, you get some seats that could be rather. We saw one movie flat <laughs> on our backs because we were in the first row. <laughs> It was not a pleasurable experience. But it was a good movie. Every pore that Julia Roberts has, I saw. <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen. But that was because it was a popular time. Where we, when did we see? Where? In Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, yeah. Okay, so we've been using the movie pass for four or five months, and it's been great. Now, when we travel, that'll be interesting because we will not be able to use it, obviously. Overseas. Overseas. But, so they're gonna, that's where they're going to make their money back, I guess. I don't know how they make any money off it this. It seems like a Ponzi scheme or too good to be true, but so far it has been true. So if I give them the special coupon code, then can and Martha get a kickback? I don't think so. Is, is, is that the Ponzi scheme that is available today? Back to uh, installs here. Every device these days uses USB, which is very nice to charge the batteries, wouldn't you say? Yes. Well, you need to look at the things that uh, you're using as chargers because almost always it's a, it's just a USB charger. And you might plug it into your cigarette lighter. You might plug it into the wall. But Basically, you don't need to have a special charger for your mini for your mini devices. I'm even charging my uh, drone using USB. Well, that's pretty amazing. Older vehicles like our motorhome don't have USB ports, and so what do you do? You have a rat's nest of stuff <laughs> sticking into a plug that you put in that has more USB well, outlets uh, well, on it. A lot of times, what we've done is we we bought a multiple connector that has multiple cigarette lighters on it you know you plug it into one cigarette lighter and then it has multiple cigarettes but why do that when it's just usb so the one we had got so heavy from all the things <laughs> we plugged into it that when ken would drive and go over bumps it would work its way out of the outlet so it was vastly overloaded so i bought some little usb power supplies that are round and I've drilled holes in the dash of the motorhome, and I've installed six ports into the dash, and then I'm wiring them into what used to be the well, what is the cigarette lighter, but I'm doing it the wiring behind the dashboard, so that it looks clean, and my wife will not complain about all of the rat's nest of wires. Rat's nest of wires. So now uh, I can plug in the GPS and the dash cam and the uh, tire pressure sensor monitors and she can plug in her GPS and we have all the ports we need to to run these. Now, uh, one thing you do want to make sure of if you are contemplating doing this is that you want to get the ones that are at least 2.1 amp because some devices require that. And of course, we can charge our phones, uh, whatever you want to do with the USB. So it just makes the, the whole dash system, uh, the whole wiring system much cleaner because using cigarette lighter plugs are really clunky. These are fairly easy to install. You just need to find a hot uh, wire that you can connect to, and then I have some of them on the uh, accessory so that it turns on with the ignition. For instance, the dash cam, I want to come on with the ignition. And so I have it, I found a wire that was connected to the ignition, and so that they turn on with that. And that is a fun project, which I think almost anybody can do if you're a little bit handy. Could you do this? No. <laughs> I don't do electricity. 
it does require kind of ripping things apart. This is safe electricity. And speaking of electricity, I am also replacing the chassis batteries. So you have two sets of batteries in your motorhome, one for the house, which ch powers the lights and the refrigerator and anything else that uh, runs off of 12 volts inside your motorhome. And then you have the one for the engine. Now, if you have a diesel, you have two big batteries that are strictly for the diesel, and they're called chassis batteries. 70 pounds each. Right. Now, we probably had a long description about us replacing the house batteries because there are eight of those. 50 pounds each. Actually more. <laughs> and uh, that was a fun project that when we were in Tucson uh, three or four years ago. But now our chassis batteries, which are the originals uh, from 2012, are now six years old. So we are now replacing the chassis batteries so that we don't have uh, the engine not start sometime, which happened with our last motorhome because I waited too long. After shopping around a bit, I bought two group 31 C's and I'm ready to put them in but he needs help Ooh, I got into the engine I got into the compartment and I said this might be over my head that's hard for me to say well you're a can-do guy but I'm glad <laughs> that you know your limits because it's not worth breaking your back or flying our flying and I would our like equipment. to be able to start the engine when we leave <laughs> I want to be able to turn the key and say oh, okay there's the engine so in this very full of campground and RVs community, um, there are many mobile techs cruising around, and we've got one booked to help Ken with this little project. Yeah, to the tune of 150 bucks to put in the batteries. He the batteries are 100 bucks each, so this is a $350 project. Got to have them. Got to have them. Got to replace them sometime. So you need to check your chassis batteries, and if they're between 6 and 10 years old, they're going to fail at some point. And when they do, you probably won't be able to start your engine. So it's nice to have a, a planned repair rather than an emergency repair. And because, as she says, we're leaving here in two weeks, and we are going back to unknown weather. Colder, for sure. It could be colder. That's when batteries fail. So I want to get it done before the summertime, um, just in case the weather takes its toll on the batteries. So these should be good for the life of the of our motorhome. So will we have it more than 15 years? Hopefully this will all be uneventful and ah. we won't be talking about it again next month. Stuck on the side of the, the road. road. We really enjoy coffee and we've been having a good time uh, tasting a variety of different coffees from our Blue Bottle subscription service. Now, this sounds like an ad, but it isn't. <laughs> Remember, we are ad-free, and we do not accept advertising. We do not accept money. We don't. We generally, well, <laughs> nobody ever offers us anything, so who cares? And we can only do this because they, we are in one place for a while because well, they send you, what, how many ounces? Well, ounce it's a bags? subscription, but you can buy as much coffee as you want to. But the cool thing about those places is that they blend their own, and they ship it to you within 48 hours of it being roasted. So your coffee is extremely fresh when it arrives to you, unless it has to go through Texas. <laughs> but they sell you 12-ounce bags of different kinds of coffee from different parts of the world with a little sticker on it that tells you all about the coffee. It's fun to drink different flavors. And the thing that I've really noticed is, is that there is differences in coffee and that uh, it, there is a quality difference. And that buying Maxwell House at the ground up at the store. Well, we knew that already. We always grind our own coffee anyway. 
And our next door neighbor has kind of gotten into this too, and we've been having a good time sharing coffee back and forth and and seeing what uh, what the world offers in terms of coffee because coffee is made throughout the world and uh, grown throughout the world. And, of course, this is all free trade, and it's good stuff, and it's reasonably priced. So we get a little 12-ounce bag every two weeks. But if you're interested in giving that a, a try, you might want to try blue bottle coffee. Making coffee is kind of a... An interesting process, and how you go about making it. Perking is really a bad news way of going about it, but pouring it over hot water over grounds is a good idea, and it makes probably some of the best coffee. If you're really interested, Consumer Reports has had an interesting uh, series of coffee articles about where to get your coffee and how to what makes which brewing technique makes the best coffee. You can get into it like wine tasting, and they have all these descriptive adjectives and. Is your is your coffee earthy? Yeah, <laughs> I I like some better than others. That's really all I would say. We're going to put up a link here to a, an article that says you can make coffee without any electricity in your RV. In your RV. So if you're interested in boondocking and making coffee, you can. And not disturbing your neighbors by turning on your generator if you have one. Yes. When you are camping in a 55 and over um, campground, as we are, you are likely to see an ambulance go by occasionally. And we were shocked and horrified a few weeks ago when we came out our door and saw our next door neighbor performing chest compressions on his wife. wife, And the ambulance came talking to 911 on the phone. it, It was horrifying. We wanted to help him. We didn't know quite how. Luckily, that story had a happy ending. Uh, she got to the hospital in time. They knew what to do. And then shortly after that, I got sick. And it was not the chest compressions kind of sick, but I needed to see a doctor. I needed to get an antibiotic. And when you are not at home with your doctor, yeah. uh, you suddenly start thinking about how best to handle that, how best to pay for it, how serious is my illness, um, who should I go to. And we're going to link to a nice article that kind of discusses that topic and things you might want to think about and keep in mind. A trip to the emergency room and what it taught me. And certainly the ideal is that you always know where the nearest hospital is in case you need it. But when you're on a trip like we were earlier in the fall where we moved every few days, that can be hard to do. Well, not only that, but even more critical is where you are. (laughs) It's very critical so that you can tell. 911 doesn't work. Well, and they don't necessarily know that you're at site such and such in a campground, and it's, it's not easy for them to pinpoint it. So uh, you need to know where you are and have some sort of uh, like emergency flashers or something to, to let the, the emergency vehicles know where you are. We didn't have to use an ambulance, but uh, we had to go to... Urgent care. Urgent care, which is our first trip because at home we... I always plan to be ill when I'm home, and that's worked pretty well so far, but not this time. And we got pretty good service, yeah. I would say. I was impressed with the care that you got, and they gave us uh, some medicines, and we actually had to go back a couple times. Because they didn't give me the right so, thing to begin with. Emergency medical care on the road is possible, and our insurance is going to cover it. We think. We th- we paid a $20 copay, and presumably... We we call the insurance. But that varies with what your situation is. I know, is. but it's But not- certainly before you leave home, you should clarify that for yourself. We've certainly heard horror stories where people go to emergency rooms and are charged ridiculous amounts of money when their illness does not require emergency kind of service, right. as mine did not. And you want to kind of think that through when, when you're healthy so that you react properly when you're not. 
And we might want to mention here that we have um, emergency evac, evac insurance. I think we've probably mentioned this before, a company called MASA, M-A-S-A. And MASA is a company which doesn't provide insurance, but they provide a medical emergency evacuation. And our coverage is any place in the world. So wherever we are, if we have a medical emergency and we need evacuation, we need to come back home, they will do that. Plus, they also will drive our motorhome if if it were to happen here in Tucson, for instance, and for some reason one of us needed to be at home, they will they will bring uh, both us home as well as a driver to bring the motorhome home, which is a kind of a comforting sort of thing. Lots of places in the world we really don't want to go to the hospital, and you might have to go just on an emergency basis, but as soon as you're able to move, that uh, would be expensive, <laughs> and, and you'd have to uh, make the arrangements, right? Yeah, that would be that would be difficult. And if you need like a first class ticket because your broken leg or something happened and you need extra space, they pay for that too. So all of that is taken care of by the emergency uh, medical evacuation insurance. And the one they use around here is AirMed, MedAir. AirMed. AirMed, right? That um, seems to be a competitor. Yes, but we have Massa, and we've had them for years. We have kind of a five-year or a long-term plan. And they offer these by the trip. It can be very expensive, but currently they offer uh, longer-term options, which if you travel as much as we do is probably worth it. And with MESA, if we are in need of assistance within the U.S., they just do it. And every time we plan a trip overseas, I have to notify them where we're going and when, and then they promise they will help us there. Yes. So that's been good. We've never had to use MESA, but uh, who knows? We'd we're not getting any younger. That's for sure. Well, and I'm not getting any younger. So I like to exercise a lot, and so I bought a, an e-bike. <laughs> she looks at me skeptically. Well, I need more exercise, so I, I've got my e-bike. One of our listeners checked us down at home this summer and had one and spoke with great enthusiasm about it. And then we met folks who were also listeners in Colorado who had purchased theirs in Europe and ridden around over there with them and then imported them as used bikes back to the U.S., which saved them some money. They are pretty expensive, and one of the things that has made us hesitate is that we like the bikes we have because they fold and we don't need a bike rack. We can just put them in the back of our car. Uh, Yeah, they're not clown bikes. We found here in Tucson a bike that was full-size, that folds, that was also an e-bike. Tucson at the very famous Lazy Days. Lazy Days has uh, branches in both Florida and Tucson, and I was very surprised to find that they sold e-bikes. And we bought a demonstrator model, which uh, we got a huge discount on, (coughs) and notice that we say, I bought... Yeah, I don't have one. We only bought one. They only had one demonstrator. Yeah, but... I'm not sure I want it. Maybe in my old age. Why don't you want an e-bike? Because I don't like e-things. I love it. Yes. Now, mine is all-wheel drive. Doesn't that impress you? No. (laughs) You don't want an all-wheel drive e-bike? I ride a bike for fun, and when I'm tired, I stop. This way you can be tired less soon. <laughs> you can go farther on a charge. Yeah. Um, so it's been kind of cold, so we really haven't had a chance to put it to its uh, test yet. But mine is front-wheel drive, and then I pedal the back wheels. 
but otherwise it has the standard derailleur type of uh, gear shifting on the back. Um, but it carries a battery, and it folds in half so we can put it in the back of the motorhome. And it's significantly heavier than our current bikes. It's somewhat heavier. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you take off the battery, it's about the same weight. Nothing. It's very sleek and nice looking. Yeah, it is. We it, still need more experience and practice with but it to give it a final review. E-bikes have come down dramatically in, in price. price. Right. So this one costs less than $1,000. And it's a quality bike uh, made in America, which I kind of appreciated. It's not a Chinese ripoff, but it is... Uh, a re- it looks like a regular bike. You'd have a hard time making the distinction. It's just got this uh, hub motor on the front, which uh, provides power. And, of course, the battery pack on the back. Which, which is to- as big as a shoebox. Not quite. You would notice it. It adds a little bit of weight. But it's not bad. And it drives. You can pedal it as much as you want. So that's the nice part about it is you can just pedal as much as, much as you want. So we're hoping that when the weather improves before we head home that we can take advantage of some of the many wonderful bike trails here in Tucson. This is a really a bike-friendly yes. city. But wherever you are, if you want to look for a bike trail, we're going to link to – this is pretty amazing – a site <laughs> Google on Maps. Google Maps. Not a site, just Google Maps. That lets you figure out, shows you how to figure out whether there are bike trails near wherever you are. We're not fond of riding on the shoulders of the roads. We like right. bike trails yes, that are yes. separate from the roads, and, and this helps you to find that. Google Maps has a feature that will create a route for bicycles instead of cars by tapping the little bicycle icon instead of the car when you are getting directions. Did you know that you can turn on a layer that shows you all of the bike trails in the area? To tr- give it a try. That's the standard Google Maps. Another problem we read about regularly uh, for people who are new to RVing is what on earth am I going to do with my mail? And we've talked about this before. It's it, actually a very simple solution. Bear is mentioning again that if you can't get your mail forwarded to you by a friend or if you choose not to use a mail forwarding service like Escapees that we do, like we do, you can also get your mail sent to general delivery wherever you are in the United States. We have occasionally had problems with this in larger cities <laughs> because there is usually one post office designated for general delivery and when you're in Tucson and there are many post offices yes. you don't know which one to go to. So we're going to link to an article that explains how to figure that Tips out. Tips for using general delivery to get your mail. And almost always whether you're using escapees or another mail service, almost always you can make that your permanent address. So many neophytes are asking questions about what do you do about a permanent address. You can as get a your, full-timer. As a full-timer. You can get your voting. You can take your get your driver's license. You can register your vehicles. You can do your taxes all from a remote mail service, and you never have to really be in the in the area at all. The popular states are South Dakota, Florida, and Texas. Typically, campgrounds that are state parks or national parks or Army Corps of Engineer do not accept mail, right. and that's when you have to go to the general delivery. Boondocking. And if you're smarter than we are, you should ask the campground, will you accept <laughs> a package if I have it sent here? Because we were burned once Yes. Uh, since we assumed that the campground we were staying at would do that. and They didn't. We shouldn't have. Yes. Yes, and that was on this trip. That was in Estes Park. They didn't accept packages, which was kind of a surprise to us. Because at this particular park, we get 
Amazon deliveries almost every day. <laughs> UPS. UPS. FedEx. They actually deliver to the sites in many campgrounds. So getting packages delivered from your favorite online service is not really much of a problem, even if you're going to be there for a short time because you can, with Prime, you can time the delivery to be when you're there and you just put down the site number or you can leave it at the office and pick it up there. Usually. Usually. Don't assume that, though. Yeah, you should always check with the campground because that's been a problem. Are campgrounds too crowded? RV industry created 504,000 new RVs last year, and they expect that to continue at the half-million rate for the next few years because RVing is actually very popular. Are there new campgrounds coming online? See, that's what doesn't happen. I never read articles about that. But from our experience, camping has not really gotten out of hand in terms of where you can camp we have had really very few problems and we rarely make reservations other than very popular places like sun belt places or in the winter in the winter or places that are very close to popular national parks or popular attractions if you want to go to dollywood you got to have a reservation you're more likely to run into trouble on the weekend when working stiffs are just getting out for two days and going home again. So that's another time to double check. Certainly big holidays like 4th of July, Labor Day, Memorial Day, you need reservations. But that's been true for years. If 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 campgrounds are more crowded than they used to be, I would say we haven't felt it no. yet ourselves. No, and we just made a reservation for June on the shores of Lake Michigan, and we really didn't have any trouble at all. But Except not on what, the weekend. Not on the weekend, right. Uh, and I have another article here which I'm going to link to, which you may be interested in taking a look at, uh, that's titled, Arizona RV Parks Reporting More Snowbirds Than Ever. And certainly our next-door neighbor wanted to have a friend stay at this park for a month, and there was no space. But, you know, you can't come in January and expect to get a, a place to stay in February. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Any place. So, except where it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't want to go. Yeah. But you know, if, if you're if you're new to RVing, then you want to look at RV park reviews and pick out some campgrounds and check to see availability and use your head. If it is a popular time of the year at a popular location, then you're going to need a reservation. If you're traveling like we are going to be doing in the near future from Tucson back to Chicago, we're not going to make any reservations. You just don't need it. And I would think most times of the year, if you're traveling down the expressway, there are lots of campgrounds that are basically overnight stops and you can find those uh, on the on the spur of the moment just call ahead you know when you're three or four hours away and and see if they have space for you regardless of the size of your rv the other time you might want to make reservations is if you're planning to stay at a place for a long time um, i know there are a lot of people who do seasonal camping all over the united states right. and they take their rig to a site and leave it there for right. the season whatever that is and there you might run into problems but if you're just floating around like we like to do, it's generally not a problem. Right. Our podcast here is aimed primarily at uh, RVers who like to travel, but it strikes me as I read more and more that there are more people who are buying these 500,000 RVs every year. They're parking them in one spot and they're living on them as a cheap way of finding housing or that housing is too expensive where they are and they they just see this as, a, as an option for for living. And 
and you know they have a family of two or three kids and they're living in their RV and they park it permanently or they're working and they are moving to a location and they park for many months at a time and not doing the kind of traveling that we would. Of course, you can't stay in most state parks for any extended period of time. Two most weeks, state parks maybe? limit you to two weeks and probably two weeks within 90 days or something. It depends on the on the state. But you will find... Uh, People in private parks where they are staying for extended periods of time. And here at this park, uh, they don't allow long-term staying, but you can buy yourself a mobile home type of thing. In the park. In the park and uh, and stay for year-round year if you want to. So there are lots of options, and I'm not sure these sales are really going to equate to crowded campgrounds because people don't put them in campgrounds. And a lot of working people aren't going to be camping when they're looking most for, of the time. And they're looking for cities and, yeah. you know, to be close to that. Now, I've been trying to kind of cover some beginner topics every once in a while, and this is a very controversial one that I've been reading about. Should you turn off your propane while you are moving? And I think the answer is... No. Yes and yes no. <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes. Because most of the time it doesn't cause you any problems. We did it for years. You know, wh- why? Yeah, we, that's no. No, you shouldn't shut it off. Yeah. You should leave your propane on all the time. There's no reason to shut it off, except, of course, when you're uh, at the gasoline pumps or in some tunnels where you're required to shut it off. Or on ferry boats. We have never shut off our propane, and there, I don't see any reason to shut it off. I mean, you've got probably 30 or 40 gallons of gasoline, which is at least as volatile as propane. We actually, as you know, we in 1994, we totaled one of our RVs. We had f- fresh propane tanks. We had a fresh tank of gasoline, and in that accident, there was no, no leakage. No explosion. No leakage or explosion. Now, of course, that's you know kind of anecdotal and not not something that you want to base any sort of uh, decisions on. But why would you shut off your propane? Because you're afraid that it'll leak and explode. But you have air movement in your RV, which is going to dilute the propane so that it's not going to have, be a problem. Well, doesn't it settle in low places? Yeah, but you're, but you're, if you leave a little window open, it's, there's plenty of ventilation. But it's laying on the floor. Not as soon as you open the door, it comes out. <gasps> and there, there, there are definite benefits to leaving it on. Like not having your food thaw out. <laughs> <laughs> and there's many times when we have had the heat on. We, we run the furnace when we've been going down the road. Now, of course, we're speaking to you from the perspective that we own an all-electric coach, so this is not really an issue for us. Although our heat is created with burning Diesel, so who knows? Propane, though, has never been a problem for us. And you know, you have these little tanks in your in your bays, and you know, who, who knows if one of those leaks, you could have an explosion. Yeah, the the chances are there, but the, it's very slim. And I think people are just not used to using propane, whereas they use gas all the time, and uh, so they take that for gasoline for granted, and they they think propane is something special but i would not hesitate and we don't hesitate to recommend that you leave it on virtually full time your refrigerator will say thank you your food will say thank you and of course the burner for the refrigerator is on the outside so even if it leaks propane it's still going to leak it just into the air as a matter of fact it would be much more dangerous to have it leak to be still <laughs> to be still right so um don't worry about it and I have an article here, which I'm going to refer you to as an expert who 
gives you the advice that it's pretty much up to you, but he leaves his, his on too. So that's kind of my my overall tips. Everybody is interested in their internet while on the tr- on the trail. I think I talked last month about installing our DSL. It has worked reasonably well. We've mm-hmm. been able to stream slightly. But one of the sites that I use is the rvmobileinternet.com. This is a great site for finding information about uh, all things cellular and Wi-Fi. They test all the equipment. They show you how to hook it up. They tell you which cell plans are good and which cell plans are to be passed on, uh, which ones are expensive, which ones are cheap. As we mentioned last time, our Mobley doesn't work very well here because the, the tower apparently for AT&T is just overloaded. So we rarely get uh, very good service with the Mobley, but that's the way it goes, and I understand now. But they have a brand-new book called the Mobile Internet Handbook, which if you are starting off or even if you're on the expert side, it has a lot of great information that is specifically oriented to mobile internet, how to get it and how much it's going to cost and the various options that you have, both in terms of hardware as well as software and the equipment and plans. And so they keep it up to date and it's brand new as of this month. That's February, but uh, you will find this book to be quite uh, quite useful and it's quite inexpensive. So I would go to Amazon and download the book or you can buy it as a paper copy and and use it as a great reference tool. And of course, everybody is asking me, why didn't you go down to Apple on the day it was introduced and buy the HomePod? Because you were at the Gord Festival. Oh, <laughs> I went to the Gourd Festival instead of going to Apple to buy a brand new product, which they were introducing, which I ordered. Some of us don't want I or- it. I actually ordered it two or three weeks beforehand so that it would be there on the day of the Gourd Festival. And where did I go? To the Gourd Festival. We still don't have it, and we're glad. So, HomePod, Amazon Echo. The Alexa. Alexa. You can buy Google, you can buy Amazon, and now you can buy Apple HomePod. What's your problem, lady? I don't want spies in my house. They don't spy on you. They just listen for the keyword. So you say, hey, Siri. I don't like Siri either. She doesn't understand me. But she's on your phone and I she's don't. listening all the time. I have, No, I have it turned off. Well, your iPad. <gasps> your watch heard it. You just woke up Siri. <laughs> See, it's spying on us right now while we're doing the it's podcast. Just li- I don't it's, like ju- <laughs> it's just listening for the keyword. It doesn't like- record anything. I don't believe it. You're wrong. So, so anyway, ladies and gentlemen, so this was an ongoing office. conversation which we will have in the RV Navigator's household <laughs> about whether we have none of these things. And so we need some people to tell us how much they enjoy their Echoes and their Amazon. We know people who have them. And they like them. My sister has one. Mm-hmm. And they like them. They have them in their RVs. They like them. I don't know anybody who has it in their RV. You're about to have a HomePod. I don't want one. (laughs) 
I didn't buy, I, I took a pass. I did order the HomePod, and I was ready to buy it on the Day of the Gourd Festival, but I relinquished because uh, my reading of it was is that it really isn't ready for prime time yet. It hasn't gotten such good reviews, has it? It gets excellent reviews for the sound quality. but It gets less than perfect reviews for the software built into it. And Apple's had so long to to make this thing. It's like they're you know, playing they, catch-up. They play, yeah, not only are they playing catch-up, but they're way behind in addition because they were supposed to have it, even based on their own timeline, they were supposed to have it ready for Christmas, and now here it is almost March, and they don't have it, they just got it ready. I saved you from making a bad purchase. We don't always have to be the first people on the block to have these things. Well, I was all ready to go buy it. No. And you wouldn't let me maybe no. go to the Gord Festival. And, I and now we're, I'm going to make you leave the country. You won't need it. Oh! <laughs> so I can't get it till summer? Oh. To be continued. Let's talk about 3D printing. Pretty cool. I wanted to get a 3D printer. But you didn't know what to do with it. Well, I've got some cool ideas now. Like making a gun? Uh, that wasn't really um, high on my list oh. of things to do. But you could make cool accessories like you can make USB adapters and, and holders for them and, and places to hold uh, holsters to put your devices that are custom made. Or, and, and we're reading here about somebody who's <laughs> or, making an RV out of a There's with a, a company who's printer. making – this is incredible. The RV will be 12 feet long and weigh between six and 700 pounds, and it won't have any leaks. North America's largest 3D printer is it sets to work on building a plastic unibody travel trailer in Saskatoon. While the rig may not exactly be suited for full-timing, when the printer squirts its last bit of plastic, the 12-foot-plus rig will scale in somewhere between six and 700 pounds, a real lightweight, complete with seats and walls. When the command to print is issued, the massive 28 feet by 5 feet by 7 feet erector bot printer will take 10 days to churn out a record-breaking trailer. Record-breaking, Randy points out that the present world record 3D printer construction is a mere 80 cubic feet. The new travel trailer will represent a 500 cubic foot product. When the trailer is done, it will be equipped with some non-printable pieces, a furnace and stove for starters. Does that sound like something we should have? No, but I would like to see it. But that, boy, if this could really That's revolutionize, re- revolutionize the, the world. The, the products that I've seen that have been 3D printed are really very cool and, and nice, to, nice to have. Uh, I could see us uh, getting some. So other things that we should be talking about. High-end glamping. We're going to link to a website that shows you places where you can rent high-end glamping RVs on Airbnb. Um, When I looked at them, many of them were Airstreams, which certainly have a cachet (laughs) to them, even though we always object to the fact that they don't slide out. Glamping means you're not going to tow this. Right, and they are all in very desirable locations around the United States. So instead of renting a cabin, you can rent through Airbnb uh, a luxurious RV and enjoy the view. 
And if, you're, if you have an RV, as most of you probably do, then you want to take a look at the five southern road trips to take when the weather gets cold. If you've had enough of winter. When the seasons change from summer to fall to winter, it can be a natural instinct to put the RV away and start dreaming of the next... Put it away? Well, people are working. Oh! <laughs> Young people. Oh, geez. People without wrinkles and gray hair. <laughs> but colder temperatures and stormy weather don't have to mean an end to your RV trips. Uh, with a little planning, you can load up and head south and experience a whole new season of RVing. And this article talks about the five southern trips, which you would definitely not want to miss. Of course, we've been on all of them. Of course. We are experienced RVers and so on. But we'll be glad to give you tips if you want to ask us. And last but not least... Rookie mistakes explored? <laughs> We're not going to talk about these. We'll just link to it. Yes. Uh, a lot of them involve sewage emptying mistakes. <laughs> one that they didn't Fun with poop, maybe? One that they didn't specifically mention that I know that we made was one time we forgot to put our jacks up and people were yelling at us as we were driving with our trailer out of the campground, plowing deep furrows into the soil. So a lot of these kinds of mistakes are things that people who don't camp a lot avoid with checklists. Yeah. It'll make you think about some things that you haven't done wrong yet and hopefully help you to avoid them in the future. Exactly. And, ladies and gentlemen, if you're planning on catching up with us, you better do it soon. Why? Because at the end of this month, on the 23rd of March, 2018... We're leaving the country. We are leaving the country. But we're going down to see our friends in Australia. We will be... uh, traveling on the road for 53 days uh, starting March 23rd. So if you're planning on visiting the RV navigators in their RV, you have about two weeks of at the beginning of March, and we will be heading... Out of uh, here. Well, we'll be heading east as we head from Tucson back to Chicago uh, where we uh, store the RV for a couple of months while we hit the road. So the next version of the RV Navigator podcast will be... Probably from Australia. Frenetic, last minute, and crammed into whatever else we're doing. We hope to uh, maybe have some guests that we'll, we will be speaking with. And, uh, oh, yeah, that would be nice. We stopped five nights in Fiji, and then we spent some time in Australia. We're doing the interior of Australia and Tasmania as a tour group. And then we board a cruise in April which will take us from Sydney to Washington, Seattle, Washington, and then we'll be home in May. So that is a fabulous upcoming trip for that we're looking forward to. And, well, we will definitely see some of you. And We've already made arrangements. And if our broadcast is a little bit delayed or a, Never. Little, or a little bit funky, um, you, you will know funky, to, maybe. to expect that. <laughs> Anyway, we look forward to meeting you, and uh, maybe you can catch up with us and see us in a campground near you in the not-too-distant future. If not, then we will see you a little bit later on in the year. Until then, we very much appreciate you listening, and I hope you've enjoyed the podcast, and we always appreciate having you send us feedback and comments and questions. We try to answer as much stuff as we possibly can, but for the time being, we will be out of here. Happy travels. Happy travels. Bye now.